Hello and welcome to the Sage Oak Show, Senior Care Simplified. I would like to welcome my first guest today. He is Dr. Alex Anastasi, board certified in physical medicine and rehabilitation. Dr. Anastasi uh, practices include inpatient rehab, as well as hospital and skilled nursing in the Denton, Texas area. Uh, he is a good friend of Sage Oak and we're so pleased to have him with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Great. It's to be here. Yeah, it is. It is fun. It is our first uh, ever Sage Oak podcast. So very pleased to have you on board with us. So you are the current medical director for a few different places, right? Uh, yes. Uh -huh. So I'm a medical director for Select Rehab Inpatient uh, Hospital in, in Denton, as well as Denton Rehab and Nursing, Skilled Nursing Facility, and Senior Care Brinker Skilled Nursing Facility. And I go to another one, Vintage, as well up in Denton. Awesome. You have plenty of experience then dealing with seniors and what they're trying to navigate right now at that stage in their life and probably families as well, I would assume. I hope so. I've been doing it for 10 years, but I, I enjoy being up there and just working with that population that, you know, a lot of times, obviously, no one goes sees their doctor when they're feeling well. And so whenever I see patients, they're not doing well functionally or medically or, or whatever. So it's, it's not a great time for the patients and the family members as well. Um, but I like to try to do the best I can to, to fill that that role of, of trying to be a, a you know a helper a transition you know just a, a speaker to them to kind of see what the, the options are and then just be a part of the community as well that I enjoy being up in Denton it's a it's a good place to to work and you know it's a very thriving there's a college there UNT you know aging population as well that it's a good city to, to, to be working in. Well, Denton is very lucky to have you, you for sure. And I'm sure certain families are very open to coming to you. What we find at Sage Oak is when we do tours with families, families seem to be a bit confused on where to begin and kind of how they wound up sitting in front of us sometime. Sure. I'm sure that's something that you uh, similarly find with them. What is one of the most common things that families come to you and ask? That's a good question. I think uh, I'll see if I can tie it into what we both do. Um, but let's say somebody goes to the hospital, they either get sick, they have a fall, have a stroke, have something, you know, pretty catastrophic happen. They first go to the ER. And so in the ER, they, you know, the physician will see them to see if they need to be admitted or not. A lot of times they can be seen and sent back home and then they can follow up as an outpatient. If you're then admitted, that's going to be what most hospitals, your, your Presby's, your Baylor, uh, you know, medical cities, all those are short-term acute care, so STACs. And so they go to the STAC, and this is a, a big question I see that, you know, after the STAC, they're there, that's short-term again, you know, maybe two days, three days, five days, a week, two, if they're really sick in ICU, I mean, they can get up to a month, but that's rare. Usually it's a bit shorter stay. And once they're stabilized, then it's then what? And so hopefully most people can go home. And so if they can go home, then it'd be either with home health or outpatient therapy if they still need some mobility assistance. Or if they can't go home, then that's how they get to me. And so then your, your options post-discharge from an STAC are either an LTAC, long-term acute care hospital, an inpatient rehab hospital, and a skilled nursing facility. So I used to go to an LTAC, but it's been some time. But the three main criteria for that are either some kind of IV antibiotics, um, either you know infection of the bone, osteomyelitis, maybe of the spine, discitis, uh, oftentimes people have hardware, they have uh, knee replacements, hip replacements, that unfortunately can get infected. And so if that infection gets in there deep, they're going to be on IV antibiotics for six weeks. Mm -hmm. And so then uh, potentially they could go to an LTAC to finish that out. 
oftentimes the second part is a wound. And so with these infections and you know just wounds or people not being able to, to move very well, they can get pressure wounds and just other wounds that if there's, it's a significant wound burden that requires either debridement, maybe hyperbaric oxygen, um, wound vax, those also qualify for LTACs. And the third category would be pulmonary. So if you have a ventilator and difficulty weaning off that or maybe a tracheostomy associated with that too, you might have a feeding tube and a peg tube. And so then an LTAC might be the next appropriate spot. If someone is a little bit more stable, doesn't need as long a, a stay or doesn't have the other criteria, then maybe they come to me in patient rehab mm -hmm. or skilled nursing. So inpatient rehab is a little bit more medically acute. Um, they have, you know, we see critical illness, um, you know, myopathies, neuropathies, just people that have been in the hospital for a long time, a lot of neuro cases, strokes, um, MS exacerbations, multiple sclerosis, Guillain-Barre, so things that affect function that they can't go home and they just need physician oversight on a daily basis as well as the daily therapies. And so, you know, usually higher medical acuity. If uh, patients are fairly stable or, you know, need a little bit longer time, they don't have something as serious, either like a urinary tract infection, maybe pneumonia, a little bit older patients that they don't quite need that level of oversight but need more time, then skilled nursing might be the next step and then they go there. And so after all that, hopefully we get our patients home. But if not, then that's where you guys come into play that potentially then, uh, then assisted living might be an option or independent living facilities or even nursing homes. And so, you know, it's kind of a gamut across the spectrum of, of where these patients go, but it can be very complex. And obviously making these decisions in the moment when somebody's sick and their family's sick or loved one's sick, that it's hard. And so I see that, that you know, they're kind of deer in the headlights and they're like, what do I do now? And so they come to me and I try to explain that the best I can. And, you know, it's still, you know, an, an ongoing daily, you know, depending on the patient does, I mean, the, the, the options change. Yeah, it certainly is a case-by-case -case situation. That's what we find a lot when we're sitting across the table from families is that they have perhaps been through this very complex maze right. like you've just described. There's so many options once you're in the hospital where you go post-acute, do you go to LTAC, do you go to skilled nursing, um, do you just go home, maybe it's home health. Um, so we try to help them move through those phases as well and kind of weigh out the options. Um, a lot of our families also seem to get a, a little confused when it comes to choosing between do we go to skilled nursing or is it assisted living? You know, in Texas, uh, the rules and regulations are a little in the gray area on some mm -hmm. things that we can medically take. You know, Sage Oak in particular uh, makes it a point. We've built our business model so that we are able to take a little higher acuity than a lot of places because of the way we built our business model and our staffing ratios. Uh, we have the the ability to have more of that one-on-one -on -one type care right. with the residents. So we like to try to fit somewhere in that space between traditional assisted living uh, and what they are able to take and skilled nursing to try to, if they're going to be in it long-term, of course, so that they are able to have uh, a different quality of life than perhaps maybe sharing a room mm -hmm. with someone or being in such a clinical setting. Do you have any advice for families if they are weighing between those two options? Yeah, so, you know, we've talked about it, but, um, you know, this it's not just 
a patient issue. The patients aren't the only ones that are, are dealing with the illness and being sick and being in hospital and, and lack of mobility, but the families are as well. And so, Absolutely. you know, when they see me, they may not have a good day, you know, week, month. You guys, it might be, they may not have several months that aren't good or, or years that the mobility are, are just becoming a little bit harder to manage at home, that mm-hmm. there may be incontinent issues or, or difficulties with ADLs, activities of daily living. And so what I would say between those two, skilled nursing and assisted living, uh, the skilled nursing is still a little bit more acute. And so if somebody was doing fairly well before, still has a chance to getting back to independence, doing uh, you know, a little higher level in a sense, that maybe a skilled nursing in, in case they have that pneumonia or that UTI or whatever's going on that they're in the hospital, can't go home directly, or even if they go to inpatient rehab, they just need about a month's worth. And then the goal is to go home and there's good family support and there's people there then maybe skilled nursing might be the option. If it's more of a long-term kind of situation that they've been in the hospital a couple of times, they've gone through all this, they go home, they, they make it back, or just the family, you know, it's, it's tough here that people work and the distances that, you know, I come from actually, you know, Eastern Europe, Romania, and Europe, Asia, Africa, the culture's a little different, but there's also not these, you know, these facilities. And so mm-hmm. people go home with families. Here the distances are so much further. Like there you might have families within 10 miles, 20 miles, maybe 50 miles. Here you're talking hundreds to thousands. And so it's tougher to have the support at home to be able to take care of somebody that needs that higher level. And so if it's more of a long-term situation, then that's where, you know, say Joe for assisted living, maybe independent living if they're doing relatively well, but just need a little bit more supervision, some assistance with getting dressed in the morning, maybe medications, uh, meals prepared. I've been very impressed with y'all's meals, by the way, at Sage Oak. I mean, Thank you. They, fantastic. they are fantastic. Yeah. We're very proud. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's good. And so, yeah, if they just need somewhere to be more as a destination instead of a quick fix or a fix for the, the short term, that's where this is living might be a better option. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And we like to partner with the skilled nursing facilities as well because there are times that they come and they do move in with us, but perhaps they come down with a pretty bad UTI Mm -hmm. or urinary tract infection. That's very common with the uh, aging population. And sometimes if we catch it early enough, you know, we can reach out to their primary care physician, get some things in place and, you know, take care of them in-house so they can stay home. But there are times that it just kind of runs rampant Mm -hmm. before you can get a hold of it. And they do need to perhaps admit back to skilled nursing for a temporary stay to get that under control, maybe do some IV antibiotics to knock it out quickly. Um, But that's why we like to partner because we always want them to come back to us home. But sometimes there is that higher level that's needed intermittently as well. So since we mentioned urinary tract infections, I think that's a really good spot to take a minute uh, to discuss because that is such a common occurrence in a lot of our residents as well as Uh, potential residents that we speak with families about coming in, you know, they describe circumstances like their mom or dad just isn't acting like they always Mm -hmm. had. Sometimes they even think maybe it is dementia onset, but they've not experienced any other signs or symptoms. So they automatically jump to that. But sometimes it's not dementia. Sometimes it is a temporary scenario. So can you talk about some of the common signs and symptoms that people can look for when they're home to recognize that earlier rather than later? For sure. Yeah. So what you're describing is a short-term change in mental function is called delirium. 
And so dementia and delirium, they can present similarly, uh, but dementias are, are usually a bit, little bit more insidious onset, kind of over time, you know, over months, years, you notice a little bit, you know, they might, might forget where they are or start losing things over time. Whereas the delirium is a much quicker onset that somebody's doing pretty well and all of a sudden they're very confused. So in our older populations, I mean, it's uh, the biggest, you know, thing what I look at for as a physician is any symptoms. So any, any kind of burning with the urine, any kind of, you know, uh, odor with the urine, uh, any changes uh, with those functions, uh, but that's often not the case. And so you're right that mm -hmm. you can look at behavioral uh, type things, and especially if there are some already some underlying cognitive that then it gets to be either agitation, uh, maybe hallucinations, confusion, combativeness. They're they're hitting out when they they typically aren't very you know very mild manner, and then somebody changes a little bit in terms of uh, how they react to their staff or family members, and so just any kind of change in in behavior. Um, any, any somnolence, any, any sleepiness, just changing alertness. Mm -hmm. um, there can be fevers, there can be other signs too, but uh, more just a, a mental status change is what we often see. And so, you know, those are treatable. And obviously, you know, if you, if you do see those in, in your, your family members, I mean, I, would, I get um, evaluated fairly quickly in the, in the emergency room. And a lot of times it can be treated and go back home and things clear up pretty quick. Sometimes it doesn't. And so that's where the, the other options of, of potentially discharged uh, dispositions might be uh, come in play. Yeah, so we also find uh, related to urinary tract infection onset what some advice is that can try to deter that from occurring um, is hydration. Mm -hmm. Hydration is such a, an important part of keeping that infection away as well as good uh, incontinence care as right. well but hydration is huge with our seniors they don't seem to really want to drink as much water or fluids at all I think a lot of times that is connected to if they do have incontinence issues or urgency it's harder for them to get to right. the bathroom so they think that by not drinking enough water they won't have to go to the restroom as often but it really leads down a road that is harder to come back from for them. So do you have any advice on kind of tricky ways or creative ways that people can I add do. hydration? Yeah, it's, uh, I totally agree with you that you got to flush out the system. And so if you're not, then things, you know, your, your urine's going to stay in your, in your body a little bit longer. Um, also, mobility can be impaired. Uh, getting to the bathroom gets a little bit tough. Uh, they don't want to bother anybody. And so, you know, just the hygiene is going to be key, especially if there's any incontinence that um, you know, all of that's tied together, but in terms of drinking enough water or getting more fluids, there are these, the packets, the meal packets. I mean, if somebody doesn't like the flavor of water, which I understand, uh, you can take a couple drops and it's still mostly water, but it changes the flavor a little bit that it makes a little bit more palatable. I do that daily myself. Yeah, yeah me too. I, I like teas. I mean, just any way to get more fluids in. And so, you know, sometimes it's, it's easy fixes or if there are cognitive um, deficits than than just encouraging or bringing somebody a cup of water or, you know have even like a, a bottle of water uh, with a straw there that's easy to, to reach or maybe even prompting or cueing uh, the family members to drink water throughout the day yeah we like to do that as well especially with our residents that do have mm -hmm. cognitive impairment you know if you just set a glass of water in front of them and tell them you know drink your water for us, it's easy to think that's a simple request, but it's a lot harder for them to process that information. They may understand right. it in the moment, but in a few more seconds, that 
thought is gone. So just really being persistent and every time you pass by them in the house or in the kitchen, just have that water available or any beverage that they'll drink really Mm -hmm. and just reminding you, here, take a sip. Just all of that helps so much little by little. And you can also, you know, other things that we've done, uh, popsicles. Popsicles are a great source of hydration and it's fun to eat and they don't necessarily know that they're getting hydration. Yeah, that's a good good idea. And also the, the cups that have the little measuring, you know, device on the side so you can kind of see how much oh, is, is being, you know, drank for, throughout the day and just keep track of that and just keep encouraging. And so, yeah, I'd recommend probably, you know, if, you, if you, we go by liters and so about 1.5 to 2 liters a day would be ideal. That's about maybe 50 ounces, 60 ounces in that ballpark. And so getting at least that would be ideal. Now, if somebody's already kind of limited on fluid intake and then they're drinking coffee and sodas and whatever, that then it also impedes their want to drink water. And so if somebody's already limited, I would try to recommend just as much as possible to make that water, especially if you do have the the renal patients or the congestive heart heart failure, cardiac patients that are on fluid restrictions already, to try to make that uh, fluid intake, you know, if they're being restricted or they just don't do it, as much water as possible with flavoring or with not, that helps tremendously over time. Yeah, and that's advice that I think all of us can use, which is maybe we should drink water more frequently and have that one special drink maybe as a snack instead of primarily having that special drink with every meal. And then maybe we'll drink a little bit of water before we go to bed or wake up in the morning. For sure. I try to work on that too. (laughs) Me too. It's a a struggle. (laughs) Well, Cokes are good and all that, but yeah, in in terms of your health, they're not. No. (laughs) No, they're just bad for us overall. Mm -hmm. Well, if we can solve the hydration issue, then it is going to lead to more frequent trips to the bathroom probably, but that's okay because if we can keep moving, right. you have a better chance of it not being such a struggle to make it to the bathroom. So I know that you had shared um, a clip with me right. that I found absolutely fascinating about just muscle density with someone mm-hmm. that is an athlete at 40 and then at 70 and what that looked like versus someone that has a sedentary lifestyle. Right. So would you talk about that photo for a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I sent you that, that image and it's, it's really eye-opening. I can talk yes. about it, give you you know explanations, describe all that, talk to my patients too, but images are, are obviously what we, we see and we can take that into account a lot more than, than just words. But, it, you know, there's a true story, but it goes back to something I also told you uh, that, you know, I, I told you my the practice is, is makes perfect mm-hmm. and so when I was younger I think I was probably working on my golf swing or something but you know 13 just getting into it and my dad told me this and so I was out there you know digging a trench and I'm like dad I'm, I'm practicing I'm gonna I'm gonna get it perfect and he's like no you know practice doesn't make perfect it makes permanent and so you know at the time I was like okay whatever dad I mean fine let me let me keep swinging but since then and just with life and you know just as I got busier I mean it's it's true uh, perfect is difficult to reach, but permanent is your state. And so, those, you know, we're all habits of cre- or creatures of habit. And so what we do on a consistent basis is where our state is. And so if you practice good habits, then you're going to be better than you were the day before or the year before. If you consistently practice bad habits, then obviously things go downhill. And so that image shows a triathlete of a, it's a cross-sectional MRI of the thigh, of the quadriceps. And there it is. And so it shows at the top it's a 40-year-old triathlete, and then in the middle it's a 74-year-old sedentary man, and then at the bottom it's a 70-year-old triathlete. And I'm not saying be triathletes, that's tough, but you can yeah. see between the 40-year-old <laughs> and the 70-year-old, 
that it's almost identical. I mean, he's been able to maintain a fairly good muscle mass. Whereas in the middle, just years of a sedentary lifestyle, that muscle mass has atrophied, it's shrunken, it's, it's almost just it's that dark in the center of the, the image, and the surrounding is all adipose or fat tissue. And if you take that image and just think about functionally, that person in the middle is going to have a hard time getting standing up from sitting, getting out of bed, getting to the bathroom. They're going to have a hard time doing that. If you also picture a bicycle, you're moving and you need that kinetic energy to stay up and it's pretty easy to do that. The same with our walking. If we walk, we have to have a certain gait speed. That gait speed alone is a predictor of fall risk over time as we get older. And so somebody that cannot walk faster, then that's going to be a higher risk because that moment of inertia, that kinetic energy to, mm -hmm. to stay forward, the balance is going to be a little bit more impaired. That once things slow down, you don't have the muscle mass, the muscle energy to be able to move very quickly, then your fall risk goes up. And I see falls all the time. So not only getting out of bed, but just standing and just tripping or turning direction, you can fall. And if that leads to a, a hip fracture or another injury, I mean, the mortality rates just go sky high after that at that point. So the the habits that you do over time, the mobility, staying moving is important and nobody's going to get to that overnight. I mean, it, it takes years, as you saw, 30 Absolutely. years worth of, you know, different habits and, and choices that somebody makes every day. And again, back in my 20s, I used to work out a lot. I, I, I never understood why people don't. Now I, I get it. And so it's not work out every day, do all this, but do the best you can. Each day, try to do something to, to stay mobile, to try to you know, eat right, make some good choices, and then over time, that adds up. Yeah, it really does. I'm glad you brought up fall risk, too. Of course, that, mm -hmm. along with urinary tract infections, falls are a major uh, move into coming into assisted living or, you know, memory care communities. And so when you had that photo up, what was interesting to me is when you have that good, dense muscle tissue that's surrounding the bone so when you do have falls not to say you won't have injury but your probability of having a significant break is going to be reduced when you have good muscle mass as opposed to only having that fat mm -hmm. tissue that fat that adipose tissue because you don't have the same protection uh, so it also the muscle helps with strength and not falling in the first place but right not quite as the cushion. Yeah, in terms of cushioning, I don't know so much of that, but more so you're going to be able to control a fall a little bit more mm -hmm. if you have the muscle or even prevent a fall, really. But, um, it, it, you know, as we get older, too, our bone mineral densities decrease. And so, you know, if, if I were to fall, I'd probably be okay. I've fallen off a bike and been fine and, you know, cycling and everything. And so, you know, fortunately, I haven't had any, any major breaks. Um, but as we get older, the chance of that, it goes up. And so mobility is impaired. But then if you were to fall, the, the bones can't withstand that kind of impact regardless of what's around it per se. Um, but if you do have the muscle mass and also balance is important too, but you might be able to fall a little bit better and not land quite on that, you know, that hip bone or, or your head or shoulder. And, mm -hmm. and so you might be able to protect yourself a little bit better if you lose balance or again, prevent a fall. And so that's kind of the more, you know, more the, the goal is to, to work on that balance, that strength. And again, you know, it's, it doesn't take a lot. It just takes mobility. And, and if you picture any kind of you know, a car door or any kind of machinery that if you don't move or that doesn't move, then it gets rusty and then it gets creaky and then it doesn't move more and it just kind of locks up yeah. and our joints are the same way. And so we get into this, you know, this pattern that I see, you know, you, as we get older, arthritis kicks in we have aches and, and, and pains. And so yeah. something hurts and then you don't move and then it hurts more because you're going to try to move and then you don't move more. And it's just this spiral downhill that, you know, just the, the protection of your, your pain 
makes one not want to move, and then that, that's kind of a, the worst thing you can do that you almost want to break through that a little bit, stay active, and try to try to keep the, the joints lubricated as much as possible. Yeah, and you know, fall risk reduction is very important to us mm-hmm. at Sage Oak as well. We actually have our communities kind of master plan to circumvent some of that as much as possible um, by eliminating long hallways mm-hmm. and but you know in a lot of places you have resident apartments and there's long hallways that they have to go down not a lot of natural lighting so we designed our communities to have short hallways that all come to the center of the house uh, where all the activity happens where the chef's cooking all that great food that you smell when you come over that's where activities are happening with our activities director and people are having conversations but we want to encourage people to come out so we want to encourage movement Mm -hmm. we don't want you to sit in your room and have that sedentary lifestyle but we also want it to be manageable so by having those shorter hallways you know the longest one in the house is about 45 feet which is great because you don't have to have the benches in the hallways to sit down and rest for some of these people that are walking by Mm -hmm. and that's also discouraging so they sit in their room instead of coming out to the activities we wanted to create an environment where they wanted to come out and it was safe to do so Um, is there any advice you would give as far as exercises that may be reasonable because a lot sure. of people are going to be discouraged if they think they have to you know in their 70s 80s yeah. 90s go to the gym every day to maintain that what are some easy things that they can do at home or in a community such as say joke yeah it doesn't have to be complicated at all so the easiest is walking just try to walk 30 minutes three times a week you know if you can do more great um, if, if somebody has access to a pool aquatic therapy is also very good you have some resistance there that, you know, if you fall in water, you're going to be okay mm-hmm. uh, within reason. You still have to be safe. I mean, people can still get hurt in water. Um, but the, the added resistance of that is helping. And it's not so much swimming, but just even just walking in, in the, you know, waist deep, doing some water aerobics, that would be good. Again, that may be a little bit harder to get to a pool, but if somebody has access, that's good. But um, light weights, I mean, five pounds or, you know, you do 20 reps of that, that's pretty good amount of resistance. And so just some light weight activity to kind of maintain that muscle mass, uh, just some, some walking to kind of make the cardiovascular, the, the leg strength, and then uh, just really spine health too is important. And so if I see anything, I mean, we can get around uh, some knee pain, hip pain. I mean, sometimes there's replacements that can be done, but those are easier to manage. If somebody's spine is affected over time, whether they, they lift improperly or just, you know, they don't take care of themselves, extra weight, I mean, just you know, forces on the spine, that's a tougher one to kind of get around. And so once you, you get into that, the mobility kind of goes downhill is what I see. So taking care of your back is uh, probably the one of the biggest things that I recommend too. Yeah, that's something that you kind of gets lost in the mix mm-hmm. sometimes. So that's excellent advice for people to remember that core strength, taking care mm-hmm. of your back, super important. You don't want to have to go through those back surgeries right. if you can avoid it. Yeah, and sometimes you can't, but you know, yeah. as much as possible just to to you know try to you know get proper mechanics you know try to get some help with uh, proper lifting techniques and just bending and all that but you know flexibility as well as important stretching some mm-hmm. light activity stretching balance um, yoga is pretty good if, if you do it within reason as well that it also works on your vestibular system just getting your head mm-hmm. in different positions and so by doing that it can kind of work with your your balance system 
and uh, you can do that in a controlled environment. So not everybody can do yoga as yeah. We have think, chair yoga chair as well. Yoga if or, you're yeah. limited, then mm-hmm. you know yoga meets you where you are, kind of like we do with our cognitive impairment. We like to meet our residents where right. they are. We do that with chair yoga as well. That's fantastic, and I think that's key. I think it's just you know modification. So mm-hmm. whatever activity level anyone is at, modify uh, what what activities they try to do to try to maintain that. But you know just to keep it within safety reasons too. Awesome. Well, Dr. A, thank you very much for coming on and giving us such excellent advice and information. You've been a wealth of knowledge. Thank you. You Practice makes permanent. I think that is the key to take away from this episode for sure. That's great advice to live by. If anyone is interested in reaching out to you, is there an email or website you would like to give people? Yeah, uh, so primarily I'm I'm at Select Rehab in Denton, and that's where I'm at pretty much Monday through Friday. Uh, sometimes on the weekend as well, usually usually at least one day. Uh, but the, the main number there is 940-297-6500, and uh, they can patch it to where I'm at or, or at least give me a message if anybody does want to reach out to me. Perfect. And if any families or friends are looking for senior care for someone needing assisted living or memory care, or maybe you don't know what you need just yet, please reach out to us at thesageoakcompanies.com. We have locations in Lake Charles, Louisiana, Denton, Texas, and in Dallas, Texas. If you're not sure, reach out to one of them and we will be sure to route you to the right one. Thank you again, Dr. A, for joining us on the Sage Oak Show, Senior Care Simplified. Thanks so much. Mm